Ken, so much. Take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to the 10th chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans. That's where we are, Paul's epistle to the Romans. I ask you to stand as we read this portion of God's Word in respect. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that a person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I asked, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, "I I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans fit together like a glove like one unit. Really, they give us the history of the Jewish people as it relates to their relationship with God. Chapter 9 deals with Israel's past. 
And we saw in chapter 9 that God has given Israel many wonderful privileges and advantages that he hasn't given to everyone. Adoption. They were the chosen people of God. They were given the glory, the Shekinah glory that led them through the wilderness wanderings. And then finally, the glory came to inhabit the Holy of Holies in the temple. They were given the covenants, the great covenants of God that that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were given the law, their greatest treasure. They were given the temple worship, how to approach God. They were given all of the promises of God. They were given the patriots, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by far, Israel's greatest blessing was her Messiah, Jesus Christ. Yet in spite of these wonderful blessings, Israel turned away from God by rejecting her Messiah, Jesus, when he came. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's chapter 9. Chapter 10 deals with Israel's present. And for the most part, Israel is in unbelief. That doesn't mean that Jews aren't coming to Christ. They are. But for the most part. The nation is still in unbelief even today. And then chapter 11 deals with Israel's future. And see, chapter 11 answers the question, is God finished with Israel? And the answer is absolutely not. God has a glorious future for Israel when she embraces her Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 9 is all about God's sovereignty. Here in chapter 10... Paul moves from divine sovereignty to human responsibility. You know, as we think about these two doctrines, as we have already seen, they seem to be unreconcilable because our minds cannot be wrapped around these two amazing truths because we are just too ignorant to understand the ways of God. Yet God's sovereignty and human responsibility are clearly taught in the Word of God. The Bible clearly teaches God's sovereignty, that salvation is all of God from beginning to end. That God has chosen and called a people for himself before the foundation of the world. That God's choice was not based on any good that we have done or any foreseen faith in us. But he chose us because he loved us. But the Bible also clearly teaches human responsibility, that man is responsible to believe the gospel. And man has the freedom either to accept the Lord Jesus Christ or reject Jesus. I shared with you a few Sundays ago that Robert McQuilkin, Robertson McQuilkin used to say, we need to stay at the center of biblical tension. We have God's sovereignty over here, and we have man's responsibility, and and we say, man, I don't understand how all of this fits together. Well, God does, but we need to just stay in the center of God's word and, and stay within that tension that the Bible puts us in, and we need to affirm both and not deny either one. You know, there are two truths clearly taught in this chapter as it relates to human responsibility. And that's what chapter 10 is all about, human responsibility. The first truth is this, all people are responsible to respond to the gospel. All people are responsible to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. There are always two responses people will make to the gospel. Some will believe and others will not. 
That was true in Paul's day. And that's true today. Some will believe, some will not. That's always the case. Now, Paul gives two examples of these two responses. The Gentiles responded to God, the gospel message. That's what he says in verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. They were not looking for God, but they responded to this gospel that brings righteousness. They turned to Christ. But on the other hand, the Jews didn't respond to the gospel message. That's what he says in verse 31. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, in other words, they thought that the law would bring righteousness, it can't do it. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. In other words, they couldn't keep the law. You know how ironic. The Gentiles who knew nothing about God and who lived sinful lives accepted the gospel invitation that brings salvation in Jesus Christ. Yet the Jews, who had a knowledge of God and all of these privileges that we've already seen, as the chosen people of God rejected the gospel message and missed God's salvation. And of course, the question that, that, that people were ans- asking in Paul's day and are even asking today, why did the Jews miss it? Why did they miss God's salvation? Verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works. They missed God's salvation because they were trying to earn it instead of receiving it by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verses 32 and 33, they have stumbled, he says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You see, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And who is that stumbling stone? It's Jesus. They stumbled over Christ. And you know, the question that I ask is, is why do people still stumble over Jesus and the salvation that he offers? And I believe the answer is because faith in Jesus requires that we humble ourselves and lay aside every effort on our part to earn our salvation and trust him alone. You see, it is just built into man as a part of man's sinful nature to try to do something to try to contribute to their salvation, and it cannot be done. And the Jews stumbled over it, and many are stumbling over it today because they're unwilling to humble themselves and place themselves totally under the grace and mercy of God for salvation. See, Jesus Christ is either the rock we stand on or it's the rock we stumble over. He's one or the other. If you're willing to trust Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, you will stand. On the solid rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. But if you're trusting in your good works, in your own efforts, you will stumble and you will fall. You know, what Paul saw in his day is a lot like we see in our day. 
Have you ever noticed that so often it's the religious, moral people who turn a deaf ear to the gospel and are offended by the gospel message? You know, I've often thought about that and wondered why. And I believe the why is religious people don't see themselves as sinners. They don't see themselves as really needing a Savior. They think that they're okay. You know, they say, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I'm as good or better than most people I know. I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. That's not my life. They believe that if their good works outweigh their bad works, somehow, some way, they'll make it into, into heaven. In fact, that's what I believed for a long time in my life. I, I really had the idea. I don't know where I got this from. I probably got it from church. That's right. Probably got it from church. That, you know, I'm going to get to heaven and God's got this big scale up there and he's going to put my good works and my bad works in there. And if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'm going to make it to heaven. I had that concept. (laughs) Religious people just can't accept the message that salvation is a gift of God given to them freely if they put their trust in Jesus. They can't accept that salvation cannot be earned that they can do absolutely nothing to contribute to their salvation. Therefore, they're stumbling over Christ. On the other hand, you know, it's often the non-religious people who often respond to the gospel. Why? Because non-religious people or irreligious people, you know, they recognize they're, they're sinners. I mean, you ask most people out there who, who are just living... Like the devil, you don't have to convince them that they're sinners. They know it. You don't have to convince them that they need help. They know it. And I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who's there and who's not there. And there's going to be a lot of religious people that you think will be there. But they aren't going to be there. Now, see, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's going to be a lot of religious people who said, Lord, I've done this. I was baptized. I joined the church. I even gave my money. I gave to charity. I did all these great things. And, and Jesus is going to look at them and say, I never knew you. All of those works are nothing but iniquity. Evil. Because we can't earn it. We can't pay for it. The only thing we can do is reach out and receive it. Well, Israel was lost. This is really about Israel, but it applies to all of us. Israel's lostness broke Paul's heart. At the beginning of chapter 9, if you remember, Paul says that if he could, he would take Israel's punishment in hell. Man, he said, if I could, I'd be separated from God in hell for Israel, that they might be saved. Now at the beginning of chapter 10, Paul says this in verse 1. He says, brothers, it is my heart's prayer, desire and prayer to God for them that Israel might be saved. You know, Paul believed in the sovereignty of God for salvation. That was chapter 9. But he also believed in man's responsibility to believe the gospel. So he prays for his Jewish brothers and sisters that they might trust Christ and be saved. You know, I don't admit that I understand prayer. And um, I don't admit that I understand how prayer 
how prayer is involved in man's salvation. But I'm convinced that the Bible teaches that prayer is very important in man's salvation. You know, let me just ask you, are you praying for your one? You know, where's your one? You probably don't know, but you put it up there. Are you praying for your one? Are you praying that they might come to know Christ? That's where you need to start. And see, you need to talk to him before you talk to them. I don't understand prayer, but I, I believe that prayer is that plow that breaks up the hard heart of man and prepares that soul of the heart for salvation. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. Amen. Listen to what Paul says in verses 2 and 3. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. And they do. They, they have a zeal for God today. Even today, they have a zeal for God today. If you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, you'll see sincerity like you've never seen it before. A zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Not according to the truth, that's what he's saying. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul says Israel has a zeal for God. But my friend, zeal alone will not bring salvation. You see, zeal must be based on the truth. And the truth is the gospel. The Jews in Paul's day, they were zealous in their beliefs. But their beliefs were mistaken. They based their salvation. They thought that they could be saved by keeping the law, by by doing good and all of this. And they were sincere in what they believed, but they were sincerely wrong. Let me just give you an example of that. You can believe that handling rattlesnakes or drinking deadly poison will not harm you if you have faith in God. You can believe that with all of your... You can be sincere in all of that. But I promise you this, if that snake bites you or if you drink that deadly poison, chances are you're going to die. You're going to die. You can be sincere but sincerely wrong. Israel was sincere but sincerely wrong. It's true with people today. You might sincerely believe that you're that if you're good enough and you have good enough good works that God's going to lift you into heaven. And you can spend your entire life trying to live a good moral life. But when you die, you'll find out that sincerity is not going to cut it. It won't get you to heaven. See, Israel's problem was the same problem people have today. They refused to submit to God's way of salvation. See, they thought that the way of salvation was keeping the law, good works. They thought that would gain them a right standing before God, righteousness. They thought it could be earned. But the law was never intended to bring salvation. We've already seen that in Romans. The law was intended to reveal our sin And our need for Christ. It it was that schoolmaster that was to point us to Jesus. See, it points us to Christ. But it can do no more than that. It has no power to save. See, God's way of salvation has always been by the grace of God through faith. 
and, and trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone to save you. That's why Paul cries out in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Notice, to everyone who what? Believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. What must man do to be saved? Believe. Believe. Remember the Philippian jailer who cried out, What must I do to be saved? And Paul says in Silas, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I love what the hymn writer writes. Nothing, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross. I claim God requires only one thing from us to stop trying to earn our salvation and to trust what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's it. That's it. Look with me at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Paul says, okay, if you're going to try to work your way to heaven by keeping the law, if you're going to try to be saved by keeping the law, you must keep it perfectly from birth until the day you die. Just one little mess up. Just one little slip. And you're done. One little mess up. And it's going to send you to hell. I heard the story about the pastor who asked his congregation one Sunday, if you've kept the law perfectly, stand up. First, no one was moving, and then finally a man way in the back hesitantly stood up. And the pastor looked at him and said, are you saying that you have perfectly obeyed the law from birth until now? The man said, oh, no, but I'd like to put in a word for my wife's first husband. No one has kept the law perfectly except Jesus. The law can't say. The law has a gospel purpose, yes, to, to point us to Jesus, to show us our utter, our utter unworthiness, our, our sin, the darkness of our sin. But salvation is not by works. It's not by works. Look at verses 6 and 7. This is... This is, these are probably two of the most difficult passages or verses that you'll find in Romans. But I think it's clear what Paul is saying. He says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss or the grave, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What Paul is saying is, or he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And what Paul is saying is this, you don't have to do some great feat in order to be saved. You don't have to accomplish some great feat. You don't have to ascend into heaven to bring Christ down to earth to die for us. He's already done that. You don't have to go down to the grave, to the depths of the earth, in order to bring Christ out of the grave. He's already done that. He's the risen Christ. Well, see, salvation is not something we must accomplish. Jesus has already accomplished it for us. 
through his death and his resurrection. All we need to do is hear his word and believe. That's it. Verse 8. But what does it say? In other words, what are we to do? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Well, the first truth that chapter 10 gives us is people are responsible to respond to the gospel. Either to believe or to reject it. The second big truth that we find in chapter 10 is this. The gospel is for everyone. Gospel is for everyone. Listen to Paul in verses 9, 10, and 11. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Do you want to know how to be saved? What we have here is the clearest statement in all the Bible, how to be saved, how to get right with God. I want you to notice two words, believe and confess. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, we need to understand these are not two separate conditions for salvation. Paul is not saying that you have to believe in your heart or with your heart and you have to confess with your mouth in order to be saved. Now, there's one condition for salvation. If you don't understand anything else, please understand this. There's only one condition for salvation, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. When you believe, when you trust Jesus, you're saved. But what Paul is saying, that believe and confess are two sides of the same coin of faith. In other words, when you believe, when you trust Christ, you will confess him as the Lord of your life. You know, in the New Testament, there, there are no evidence, there's no evidence of secret believing, you know? Just read the book of Acts. I mean, these, these, these new believers, when they came to Christ, man, they couldn't wait to get out. And share the good news of Jesus Christ. They couldn't wait to get out and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And even to their own peril sometimes. If you're saved, you will say so. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will confess him. Who is Jesus? He's Lord. That's who he is. And you know, the fact that Jesus is Lord carries with it profound implications. Because if Jesus is Lord, there are not many ways to heaven. There's only one way, and Jesus is that way. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to what Paul says. There is one mediator and one, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Listen to what John says. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not a way to God. He is the way to God. Verse 11, for the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be ashamed. I believe what Paul is saying is, is simply this. I, I'm going to make you a promise. 
If you put your trust in Jesus, you'll never regret it. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in my ministry who have regretted not coming to Christ sooner. I've had many people say, oh, pastor, man, I I trusted Christ later in life. Oh, I just wish, I just wish I had come to Christ sooner and not later. But I've never met one person who has told me that they regret coming to Jesus. Never. I've never met one person, man, woman, young person, or boy, girl, who says, I regret coming to Jesus. (laughs) Paul says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Aren't you glad we have a whosoever gospel? The gospel is for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, what side of the tracks you were born on. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter. It's for everyone. It's for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Boy, God bestows the riches of his grace and his salvation on all who call upon him. And verse 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, that's tripped up people. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? What does that mean? Well, Paul tells us in verses 14 and 15, he says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless someone, unless they are sent? Paul lists five steps involved in calling upon the name of the Lord. And I just want to briefly go through all four. Paul begins with the last one and moves up. I'm going to start with the first one and move down, okay? There must be a messenger. There's got to be a messenger or messengers. And who are these messengers? I'm looking at them. You're looking at the message. We are all messengers. All believers are. There is no one who is exempt from being a messenger if you're a follower of Jesus. See, messengers are not just the preachers, the pastors, the evangelists, the deacons, but ordinary Christians. We're all missionaries. We're all messengers. And Jesus is sending us out to share his message. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all people groups. So there must be a messenger. Second, messengers must preach. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily standing behind a pulpit of wood like I'm doing here in a formal way, preaching the word. No, the word preach means to herald. It means to herald the good news of Jesus. And, of course, the gospel is the good news. And what Paul is saying, the gospel must be communicated. It must be shared. I don't understand how God in his sovereignty has chosen to use us to get the message to them, but God has done that. I see, it is your responsibility and my responsibility to get the gospel to these people. You're one. Because if we don't do it, who will? Messengers must preach. And what's that message? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And we can be saved through faith in Him. And then thirdly, people must hear. You've got to hear to be saved. You've got to hear the gospel. You know, salvation cannot happen without hearing the message. 
But just hearing the message is not enough either. It must be understood. That's why we need to do a good job making the gospel clear. I say people must understand what Jesus did for them, how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ affects their life. A person must understand that on the cross, Jesus was paying the penalty for their sin. They must understand that his resurrection guarantees our resurrection and our salvation. You know, to be saved, you've got to hear and you've got to understand. And then fourthly, hearers must believe. Not just hear, not just understand, but a person must believe. And believe is not just mental assent. It's not just believing the the facts of the gospel that Jesus died and rose again and all of this. But believing means placing your total confidence in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for you. That and that alone is saving faith. And then fifthly, believers will call. Believers will call on the Lord for salvation. You know, it's kind of like Peter's call when he was sinking. Lord, save me. You know, it might not be an audible thing, but it will be at least a a prayer of the heart. Lord, save me. Save me. And those who call on the Lord are saved. And let me just ask you, have you personally called on the Lord Jesus to save you? If you haven't, God has given you one more opportunity to make that commitment to him. You know, I will never forget visiting a dear Christian lady in the nursing home. She wasn't a member of our church, but a member would visit her, and they were talking about our church and all of this, and and um, they asked me if I would visit, so I did. The first thing this lady said to me when she met me was, Pastor, you have beautiful feet. And I said, What? This was years ago. I wasn't here. I mean, I was just a young pastor. I didn't know anything. I said, thank you. <laughs> you know. And then she said, no, what, what I, I mean. And, and then she quoted that wonderful verse, Romans ten fifteen. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, that was probably the nicest compliment I've ever received. My friend, if you're... Sharing the good news. If you're taking the good news to your one or your neighbor, your friend at work or whatever, you might have the ugliest feet in the world, but in God's eyes, they're beautiful feet because you're taking his good news to people who need to hear it. My prayer is God give our church beautiful feet. God give our church beautiful feet. Because there are people in this community all around us, in your neighborhoods, and all of the communities all around us. There are people who need Jesus, and they need, they need people to tell them that God loves them. Of course, not all will believe. I'm going to just read verses 16 through 21. Let's just read through it quickly. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed? What he, what, uh, what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not all, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. 
But I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me, speaking the Gentiles. I have sought myself to those, I have shown myself to those who did not ask me, Gentiles. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. He says, I have held out my hands in grace, hoping that they would believe. And see, God's message of salvation has gone out everywhere to all people. It's gone out to Israel. They heard, they understood the message, but for the most part, they have not believed. Yet the Gentiles who knew very little of God, who didn't care anything about God, responded to the gospel. See, the question today is, have you responded to the gospel? You know, that's the big question. Have you? I'm not asking you, are you a member of this church? I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not asking you, did you walk forward and shake the the pastor's hand? I'm just asking, have you personally turned from your sin and put your trust in Jesus? If you have... It's changed your life. Heard the story about a plane that was about to land in a California airport. Suddenly, the pilot was heard over the loudspeaker to say, I've been shot. I've been shot. Jesus saved me. Later, it was discovered that um, a young man on the plane had gone to Vegas and gambled all of his money away and in a fit of rage took out his anger on innocent people and that plane crashed and killed everyone aboard. Here was a man who cried out at the moment of his death, Jesus save me. We really don't know what he meant by those words. But if he meant Jesus save me, Because I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. I'm a sinner. I know that you are the only Savior. And I know that you are the only way to heaven. Jesus saved me. If he meant that, we'll meet that man in heaven one day. Have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Let's pray together.